You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Father of light, may your Spirit open our eyes to see this world in light of your great promises so that we might live by faith for Jesus' glory and his fame. Amen. Isn't it funny how two people can see the one place with totally different eyes? I remember years ago going through the soul-destroying experience of looking for a first home. Uh, I can see some fellow sufferers out there, if you've been through it, whether you're looking to buy or rent, it's a traumatic experience. You know, every Saturday morning, you travel from house to house, hoping against all hope that this place, please God, let it be the one. I still remember visiting this one, I mean, look, let's let's be honest, it was an awful property. The, The paint was peeling off the walls, the carpet had strange stains on it, and there was this weird musk that just lingered in the air that took a while to get out of the house. And I'll tell you what, the, the sound, the sound that that house made, I refused to believe that it was structurally sound. But you know what? I was there going, oh my gosh, this place is awful, right? But at that open inspection, there was this young couple who were looking around and they said, wow, it's absolutely beautiful. We've got to get it. And I'm standing there thinking to myself, are you blind? I mean, like, this place is an absolute dump. I mean, like, how could you possibly look at this Shaq, I'm not giving you the address, and want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy it. And I'm just standing there going, what do you see that I don't? It's obvious, isn't it? What we see decides how we live. If you're like that couple who, in my personal opinion, could not see clearly, you will spend your life savings on a domestic death trap. You see, how we see our world decides how we live in our world. And if we want to live rightly, can I tell you, it pays to see clearly. And today, God is inviting us to see our world clearly. To see our world as it really is. He wants us to look at our world with eyes of faith. He wants us to look at our world in light of His great promises. You see, friends, if you want to live your life rightly... If you want to live the best life that you could ever possibly live, then you need to see these promises crystal clearly. We came across them last week, didn't we? Genesis 12, God promises to give Abram a new home, a new life and a new love. He's going to give Abram a place of ultimate safety, a family with a true identity and a restored relationship with God, a relationship of eternal, everlasting blessing. Finally, at long last, Abram's family will be God's people, living in God's land, and once again with God as their king. And and through this one family, God is going to bless every tribe in our whole world. You see, that's God's great promise. If you want to know what those promises are, here it is. It's God's promise of a redeemed world. And when you see our world in light of that great promise, you're actually seeing our world 
as it really is. If you want to know what ultimate reality is, here it is. Ultimate reality is our world in light of God's promise. Ultimate reality is our world in light of God's promise. But it's not always easy to see things clearly, is it? You know, just the other, uh, a few months ago, I got these new pair of glasses. I bought them with Josh, one of the guys here at church. But unfortunately, they look awfully similar. So I picked up his glasses the other day, put them on, and I couldn't see a thing. I was looking at the world with the wrong set of eyes. Sorry, Josh. See, those glasses, they didn't clarify my vision. They actually distorted how I saw the world. And in Genesis 13, we're going to see how prosperity can distort our vision. How success can actually blind us to see the promises of God. You see, in this chapter, God wants us to see our world not with an eye for fortune. No, He wants us to see our world with eyes of faith. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to step you through this chapter in two scenes, and then I'm going to swing back and draw out two lessons for us today. Make sense? Two scenes, and then two lessons. Well, have you ever had so much wealth that it actually creates conflict? We wish, right? Just think about those crazy rich families who fight over their parents' inheritance. I just think sometimes some people just have way too much money. Well, that's the situation of Abram and Lot here in verses 1 to 9. You see, last week, Abram's faith, it was tested by a famine. It was tested by poverty. But this week, no, his faith is tested by prosperity. How do we trust God's promise? Now, not when everything's going wrong. No, the question this chapter is, how do we trust God's promise when everything is going right? When life is good, I've got all the job offers in the world, I can choose my first home between three different possibilities. How do I trust God's promise then? In verses 1 to 4, Abram, he retraces his steps away from Egypt, up the Negev, and back to Bethel and Ai. You see, after a chapter of veering off course, of walking away from God's promises, no, Abram, finally, he's back on track. He's back in the game, and he's walking by faith. Abram is literally journeying back to God. But I wonder, did you notice that throwaway line right there in verse 2? Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Small detail, right? This is a crazy rich Abram. But it's not just Abram. It's, it's his nephew Lot as well. Now, if you've been tracking with this story, the, the name Lot might sound familiar, but a bit unfamiliar. You see, up until this point, Lot has been something of a you know, minor B-grade character, just kind of lurking in the background. But now, in chapter 13, Lot steps onto center stage. And just like his uncle, verse 5 tells us that he had flocks, herds, and tents. Can you see, friends, that the collective wealth of this one tribe is so great that their land can't even accommodate it. Life is going so well that it actually leads to people arguing between themselves. Abram and Lot's herdsmen leading into conflict. So, Abram comes up with a solution. Smart man, here it is in verse 8. This is what he says to Lot. 
isn't the whole land before you. Separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I will go to the left. Can you see what Abram's doing? You see, he's Lot's uncle. And in that culture, right, he has the right of first choice. He's the older uncle. It's like that moment that you take your extended family to a family lunch, right, on a Saturday. You don't get to touch anything until you ask all your elders to eat first. And you just have to sit there if you're the youngest one like me. It's the same dynamic here. Abram, well, he's got first pick of whatever dim sum he wants, right? You just take that, take that, take that. You've just got to sit there. But what does he do? He forfeits his right. He forfeits his right of first choice. He allows his nephew to choose the land he wants. And Abram, I'll take whatever's left. You see, Abram, he sacrifices what is rightfully his in order to be a peacemaker, in order to bring reconciliation, in order to reconcile this broken relationship. Does that ever happen at a family lunch for you? Someone says, Leonard, you can go for it. Leonard, what should you say? Well, he just goes for it, doesn't he? He just spear tackles that piece of meat. Well, that's exactly what Lot does. He seizes the moment and he makes his choice. And can I tell you, it was like love at first sight. But the moment Lot sets his eyes on this land, you can just see his eyes light up. He wants, to be, he wants it to be his first home. More than, he wants it to be his forever home. And it all starts with just one look. Verse 10, Lot looked out and saw that the entire plain of the Jordan, as far as Zoar, was well watered everywhere, like the Lord's garden and the land of Egypt. It's beautiful. I want it. You see, what we see decides how we live. And Lot sees a well-watered land, luxe, lush, lavish, fertile land, good for food comfortable for living, filled with life. Lot sees it. He wants it. He needs it. Just imagine for a moment, Lot and his wife, the newly married couple, looking to buy their first home. So, it's nine o'clock on a Saturday morning, and what do they do? They go to an open inspection in the eastern suburbs of the Jordan. They walk into the house, and they look around, and they go... Wow, it's beautiful. Just look at the size of the living room. Check out the walk-in robe. There's even a rumpus room for the kids, home theatre for lots, home gym for his wife. This is the one. We've got to get it. This, this is our forever home. Now imagine your lot. And if you want this house, it's yours for the taking. What do you do? You take it, right? Of course you choose the land. If you see a house that is bigger, better, and importantly, within your price range, it'd be insane not to go for it. If you've been on the first home buying journey, you'll know uh, that feeling of looking for a property and then falling in love with it and just guarding your heart as you start to imagine things. You don't want to think, oh, you know, I could be there and that could be your room. No, you just got to be careful. You just love it a little too much. 
but there's something about this land that just isn't quite right. You know, have you ever walked into those houses and go, mm, something happened here? You know, when you buy a house, make sure you read. Make sure you read the property report, right? It's boring as anything, but it's really important because it will list all the problems that your naked eye cannot see. Termite infestation, water damage, mushroom growth. And if you never read the report, you will make a costly decision that you will live to regret. All because you did not look closely. Friends, the plains of the Jordan, they're beautiful on the outside, but there is more to this land than meets the eye. Firstly, notice in verse 11 how uh, these plains are set east of Canaan. Now, that might seem like a minor detail, but right throughout Genesis, the further east the people travel, the farther away they drift from God. So Adam and Eve were driven out east of the garden. Cain was exiled to the land of Nod, east of Eden. The people of Babylon came to build the tower where they migrated from the east. You see, the further east the people travel, the farther away they drift from God. And verse 11 says, Lot journeyed eastward. Secondly, it's not just the fact that the plains of the Jordan are east of Canaan, but verse 12 tells us they're outside Canaan. They're, they're removed from the promises of God. You see, the land that Lot chooses to be his home, it is near to prosperity, but it is far from promise. Thirdly, this land, it might be luxe, lush and lavish on the outside. But on the inside, it is rotten to the core. You see, these plains, they're home to Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of sin that God will soon destroy in judgment. And verse 13 casts a shadow over this seemingly beautiful plain. The men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. There's your property report. And yet, that's exactly where Lot settles down. Friends, can you see what's going on here? Lot, Lot is looking at this land through the eyes of fortune, through the lens of prosperity. He sees that this land is luxe, lush and lavish on the outside. But he is blind to its true condition. It's actually painfully ironic you see, Lot, he thinks he can see this land clearly. But he couldn't be blinder. The land that he thinks is his forever home will be his eternal grave. Lot chooses what he sees. But he sees this land in light of prosperity. Well, if that's how Lot sees the world, how does Abram see the world? Or how does God want Abram to see the land before him? Just look at verse 14. Look, there it is again, a second look. Look from the place where you are. Look north and south, east and west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. You see, if Lot is looking at this land in light of prosperity... God wants Abram to look at this land in light of his promise. Now, 
we need to get a right perspective of this here, right? Like at this stage, Canaan is probably not as beautiful as the plains of Jordan. It's not as pretty on the outside. Again, if you're inspecting two homes, you're doing the back-to-back on a Saturday morning, you see two houses, one beautiful, one a train wreck, you know which one you're going to go for. You wouldn't choose Canaan. In fact, verse 7 tells us that actually it's rather awkward. This house is actually already occupied. The Canaanites and the Perizzites live there. You see, the plains of the Jordan, they're like this unoccupied dream home waiting for you to move in. It's got the welcome mat ready for you right there. Canaan, far less flashy today with squatters who just won't leave. So on the outside, well, it at least looks like Lot has made the wiser decision. But always go for long-term potential. Because what Canaan lacks in its immediate prosperity, it makes up for with an eternal promise. Canaan might lack the external, immediate beauty of the land of, of the plains of Jordan. But this land is as valuable as the promises of God. And God promises to make it Abram's forever home. Just imagine this moment, right? God walks along, stands out in front of the house, takes Abram under the shoulder and says, Have a look. Look, Abram. Everything the light touches is our kingdom. Abram goes, Whoa! People's time rises and falls like the sun. One day, Abram, the sun will set on the Canaanites and the Perizzites' time here and will rise with you as a new nation. Uh, And this will all be mine? Everything. You see, friends, God is reaffirming His promise to Abram. I'm going to give you a new home, a new life, a new love. But this time, oh, it gets better. This land will be a forever home, not just for you, but for all your children. And you won't just have one kid or two kids. No, your offspring will be as countless as the dust of the earth. I just did home renos. I've seen a lot of dust. That is a lot of children. You see, God wants Abram to see this land through eyes of faith. To look at this world in light of his promise. And that's exactly what Abram does. He lives by faith near the oaks of Mamre and Hebron, where he builds an altar to the Lord. And so, we arrive at the end of chapter 13, and this ends as a story, in one sense, as a story of two tents. The first tent is set up near Sodom, the city of sin. And the other tent is set up near Hebron, the altar of the Lord. One land is chosen for its prosperity and the other is chosen for God's promise. And this chapter leaves all of us in this room with one question and one question alone. Where will you live? Which land will you choose? Will you settle in the land of prosperity or will you walk in the land of promise? Two scenes, two lessons. Lesson number one, beware Lot's blindness. 
Beware Lot's blindness. See, if we could diagnose Lot's spiritual problem, his fundamental problem, here it is. Lot is spiritually blind. Did you realize? Absolutely everything started going off the rails from the moment he looked at the land in verse 10. That's when it all went wrong. And actually, if you know your Genesis, you know that this isn't the first time that sin started with just one look. Remember, Eve, she looked at the fruit, saw that it was good and took it. That the sons of God looked at the daughters of mankind, saw that they were beautiful and took them. Well, now, Lot commits exactly the same sin. He looks at our world, not with an eye for faith, but with an eye for fortune. He is blind to the spiritually fatal cost of his financially profitable investment. It's ironic, isn't it? In the immediate term, oh, this is such a great idea. You might get an immediate return on investment, but he is blind to its spiritual cost. Let's be honest for a moment. I suspect that many of us here actually want to be like Lot. You never admit it. But let me level with you. I think a lot of us here actually look at Lot and go, smart man. Lot, he's not blind. No, in fact, his vision couldn't be clearer. He's perceptive, observant. He has foresight, an eye for quality and value and a damn good deal. And he knows how to seize an opportunity, build a good life. Let's face it, right? If we were Lot and God came along and said, okay, Johnson, here you get a choice, right? Plains of Jordan or land of Canaan? Let me answer for myself. I would say, well, I think you know. For many of us, Lot actually represents everything we want in life. We don't don't just want the first home, we want the forever home. A home that is comfortable and secure. And we also want three investment properties to boot. We want to pick the most prestigious degree, apply for the highest paying job, and achieve the greatest success. Oh, Lot, he's my man, like he's our hero. But beware Lot's blindness. Prosperity can distort our vision. You see, we can make all our life decisions based on what looks the most prosperous, but actually all the while, we disregard all of God's promises. Lot, he might look like that clear-eyed investor, the one that we all want to be like, but in reality, he couldn't be blinder to the risks of his enterprise. Too often, we make choices looking for worldly fun and worldly fortune, but we are blind to the spiritual cost of our decision. Just like Lot, we make too many decisions that are close to prosperity, but far from promise. When I uh, worked as a lawyer last time, I remember interviewing a law student uh, who happened to be a Christian. I remember sitting down with her. We're supposed to, they have the interview and then you take them out for a coffee and you're like, now you can ask whatever you want and we won't report back to HR. We'd report back to HR. And I asked her, I said, what do you want to do in life? Like, what, what are your career goals? And when she was sharing with me her career ambitions, 
it struck me. There's actually nothing distinctly Christian about her career ambitions. She wanted the career that will give, us a, give her the highest pay, the, the, the greatest prestige, and the fastest career advancement. She mentioned all of the worldly benefits and none of the spiritual costs. Blind to the lost opportunities for evangelism. Blind to the less time to serve others. And most of all, blind to the heart that today loves the Lord but might so easily be turned to love the world. And you know the tragedy? It was in that moment that I realized I did exactly the same thing. I chose my job last time. Close to prosperity. Far from promise. See, that student thought she was clear-eyed. But in reality, her vision was blurred. It recently dawned on me that we can actually do exactly the same thing and look exactly the same way when it comes to relationships and marriage. I'm going to go for it. If you're currently single, let me ask a question. What sort of person are you looking for? What do you turn to? And I'm not going to do that. Um, what sort of person are you looking for? Sharper question. What's on your list? Don't tell me you don't have a list. Everyone has a list, okay? Whatever is on your list becomes a visual filter for a potential relationship. If it's on your list, it acts like a grid, right? And you see something like, no, 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 yes. Right, that's just how it works. Is your list determined more by worldly prosperity or by godly promises? Are you looking for someone with whom you... Now, listen carefully, right? Like, don't mishear me. Are you looking for someone who you're immediately physically attracted to? Who you instantly click with? Oh my gosh, where have you been my whole life? Who works a particular job? Who earns a certain salary? Or are you looking for someone who loves the Lord? Who treasures His promises? Who looks at our world with eyes of faith? and who can leave everything behind for the sake of Jesus. If you look for someone who makes you happy, but that person does not make you holy, I promise you, it will not end well. And if you're dating someone who isn't a Christian, beware Lot's blindness. Every spiritual decision, every spiritual choice, every worldly choice has its spiritual cost. Love that person enough to clearly show them the promises that God has given you. Beware Lot's blindness. Secondly, adopt Abram's clarity. Adopt Abram's clarity. Do you realize that Abram would have probably looked like a fool in the eyes of the world? Right? He, he forfeits the right of first choice. He takes on and is left with the land that is left for dregs on one level. But Abram doesn't seem to mind. Because you see, when we can trust God's promise, we can let go of prosperity. We don't have to grasp for it. We don't have to pursue it. We don't have to chase after it. For Abram, reconciliation with Lot matters more than personal riches. You see, Lot looks at the world with an eye for greed. Abram looks at the world with the eyes of God. 
Now, let's be clear, it doesn't mean that Abram's ignorant. It doesn't mean he's blind to reality. No, he can clearly see that Canaan might not be as objectively, immediately beautiful as the plains of Jordan. He's not blind. He can see that, actually, there are squatters in the house right now. But Abram is not short-sighted. He can see the bigger picture. He can see the promises of God. And though his physical eyes are looking, in one sense, at great loss, the eyes of his heart are looking at great gain. Abram is banking on God's promises with the greatest foresight of all. And this land of Canaan will deliver the greatest return on investment. If Lot looks clear-eyed but is actually blind, then Abram looks blind in the eyes of the world but actually couldn't have clearer vision. Because he knows that ultimate reality is our world in light of God's promises. If we're honest, too often we don't see God's promises as ultimate reality, do we? We think, okay, it comes to my salvation, it's a Sunday, Adam's going to preach through Genesis, I'm going to hear about promises every single week for the next 15 weeks. But when it comes to practical things, right, like dating a person or choosing a career or buying a house, these promises, they just seem kind of so irrelevant. Face it, Adam, right, God's promises don't pay the bills. But the truest reality is in the promises of God. The promises of God frame our reality. They clarify our vision. You see, Abram, he can see this world clearly because God calls him in verse 14 to look. Look from the place where you are. Look to the promises of God. And right this very day, right this very moment, he's calling you and me to do exactly the same. Look up. Look up. Look up and see the promises of God. You see, when we look at our world in light of those promises, we see the world as it really is. And if you want to see those promises on the fullest, clearest, most beautiful display, look at the cross of Christ. Because it's at the cross that God delivers on every one of these promises. If you want to see our world rightly, look at our world in the shadow of the cross. Look at our world in light of the sun. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm really glad that you're with us and you get to listen in in one sense on what God is saying. And if that's you and you're looking for security, safety, identity, love and life, please, don't look to the prosperity of this world. It will let you down. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And if you want to see Him clearly, you can find Him in the pages of the Bible. Look to Him. Because in Jesus, you will see everything your heart has ever longed for. If you look at this world in light of Christ, let me paint a vision for you. Let me tell you what you're going to see. 
When you look at this world in light of the sun, you will see that our ultimate security, it isn't found in our first house or investment property. It's found in the new home that God gives us in Jesus. If you look at this world in light of the sun, you'll see that our true identity, it isn't found in a perfect atar, which no one cares about anyway, or a successful career, but in the new life that God promises us in Jesus. If you look at this world in light of the sun, let me tell you what you will see. You will see that a perfect relationship isn't found in a stable marriage, a charming man or a pretty woman, but in the new love that God promises us in Jesus. Everything your heart ever longed for, and then some, is found in the cross of Christ. If you want to see this world rightly, if you want to see this world clearly, look from the place where you are. Look to the promises of God. Look to the cross of Christ. Look to Jesus. Look to the Son of God. Fix your sights on Him. Never take your eyes off Him. And forever make Him your vision. Be Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Nought be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou, my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, Thy presence my light. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. No, Thou mine inheritance, now and always. You and You alone are first in my heart. High King of Heaven, my treasure, Thou art. Have you ever sung a song and had no idea what it meant? Well, now we know what it means. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking at Him. What does it look like to see this world with eyes of faith? Look to Jesus and see our world in light of the sun. And it will be stunning. Last week was a downer week. We said, you know, we don't know, this year could be the worst year of our lives. It could get even worse, right? But this chapter says, no, this year might actually very well be the best year of your life. For those of us here at Cross and Crane and our church family, I know that many of you are starting your first job, buying your first home, entering a relationship, getting married, starting a new life together. It's exciting. It's great. I hope you make the most of it. And when there are good gifts of a generous God, the best thing to do is to what? Enjoy them. Make the most out of them. Thank God for them. But as you do, beware Lot's blindness. You see, prosperity can distort our vision. Success can blind us to the promises of God. This sounds strange, but people ask me how I pray for our church. Sometimes I actually pray that God would afflict us with pain and poverty so that we might see his world more clearly. Sometimes people come to me, Adam, I got five job offers. Oh, gosh, I wish you got none, right? Like, not because I want you to be unemployed, but just because I think sometimes we need to see the world clearly. Friends, as you look to 2021, what do you see? Do you see the prosperity of man? Or do you see the promises of God? This year, let us adopt Abram's clarity.
The very first American missionary to the uh, nation in Southeast Asia of Burma, or now known as Myanmar, was a man called Adniram Judson. Great name, Adniram Judson. If you want to call your son something, Adniram is the name. One day, Adniram was tied up by the village people he was seeking to evangelize. And the village chief came to him and looked at him eye to eye and said, Mr. Judson, what now do you see? What now do you see? And Adniram Judson looked him back in the square in the face and said these words, the future is as bright as the promises of God. It's beautiful, isn't it? He had his eyes fixed on the cross, fixed on the sun. 2021, let's make it the year where we look up from the place where we are, where we look up to the promises of God, where we look up to see the countless opportunities that God is giving us to share his great promise to every tribe of this world. May we as a church, may all of us individually here today choose what might be lesser in the eyes of this world in exchange for what is infinitely greater in the eyes of our God. May we see our world with eyes of faith. May we see our lives in light of the promises of God for the future is as bright as those every promise of God. Let me pray. Father of light, may your spirit open our eyes to see this world in light of your great promises so that we might live by faith for Jesus' glory and fame. Amen.